caring about someone means that they matter to you and that what happens to them matters to you. It's uh, putting someone else or something else at the center of your attention and thinking about how this other thing or other person uh, is meaningful for you. Welcome to Transforming Care. Working in the charity sector with young people in care, with the homeless community and in policy, there is a common theme in each of how these sectors operate. We look for funding to run projects, try and support people until the funding runs out, and then we look for more funding. One problem with structuring charity work in this way means that there is an atmosphere of anxiety and nervousness in the people who are doing the work. If people are unsure that they will be in a job in a year's time, then it can create an environment that doesn't nurture commitment but has people looking around for the next job opportunity. This should not be the case for young people in care. As well as fostering insecurity, structuring charity funding in this way means that charities are dictated to by the funders' demands. This causes them to work towards outcomes and targets. It means that the sector becomes a numbers game and managers become more concerned with getting successful outcomes than they are with actually building relationships with the young people they are meant to be supporting. That means they won't commit the time and energy into something that might not produce immediate results. More significantly than all of this, however, is how targets are produced in the first place and what they mean. It is my belief that young people who are in or leaving care have the most intimate knowledge of what is best for them. We know that stability is extremely important and we know that love and care are the things that nurture development. But what commissioners, politicians and policymakers do not know is how we can achieve these things. The care system has been broken for a long time and it is clear that the strategies the government have tried to implement do not work for young people. Later in this series, we explore how intentional this is. But before that, we thought we would do something that they might have missed. And that is to listen to someone who has experienced the system themselves and think about where it failed them. We have never had care services that are designed by the people who have experience of the system. As a support worker and as a policy researcher, I have never seen people with care experience in positions of decision-making power. When I have seen people with care experience in the room at a decision-making level, more often than not it is tokenistic. In the best cases, I have seen young people attend sessions at the Houses of Parliament and told that they are important and told that they matter and that their input is valuable to shaping the decisions going forward, but then either completely ignored or when they do talk, people simply nod along, mutter under their breath and offer vague promises. I have no doubt that a lot of things said in these rooms by young people in care are uncomfortable for people in positions of power to hear, but that is exactly why they need to hear them. In the case of ministers, they are directly responsible for the well-being and safety of young people in care, 
and too often those with care experience are not given the opportunity to tell their story, hold the powerful to account, or design services that they have an intimate knowledge of. There is a community of people with deep understanding of the humanity necessary for people to grow, who are able to truly understand what people need when they are in care, and that is the Care Experience community. This community set up a conference to articulate some of their demands, and so far they have been met with lip service or silence from government. Government have vaguely promised to conduct a care review, but have not committed to care experienced people being at the heart of this. More than anything, this is what we need to take away from this podcast, and that is that those with care experience are the people who have the answers. This project hopes to uncover some of the structural reasons behind why the care system is fundamentally broken, as well as looking at how we can change it for the better, and identifying who is doing it well already. But before that, I want to hear from someone who has gone through the system themselves. With this in mind, we are going to take this episode to hear from Siobhan Miku, an outstanding young woman who has gone through and survived the worst the system has to offer. Siobhan is 26 years old, and in that time, she has achieved an unbelievable amount, as she tells us. Despite her circumstances and considering the battles she has had to face, she is someone who is a true inspiration to us all. It was an honour speaking with her and her story is one that may not be easy to listen to for some because it is explicit and it is unforgiving, but it is essential for those in power to hear. Now more than ever, we need to listen to young people with care experience and take our lead from them. Please enjoy our conversation with Siobhan. Hello, Siobhan. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. So me, um, you and Jake, we've just had a bit of a discussion before starting. Um, But could you please introduce yourself, your name and like... You know what you do at the moment. Okay, so I'm Siobhan. I'm 26. At the moment, I wear multiple hats. So I work a nine to five in banking as a business development manager. I own a model mother agency with two other leaders as well. We train, uh, give workshops, mental health awareness to those who want to enter the modeling field or just women who want confidence. And then I am also very heavily involved with charities that l- deal with looked after care needs. Um, biggest charity I'm involved with, Drive Forward, where I facilitate a women's wellness. And that's me. Amazing, thank you. And um, I think that one of the things that sort of like blew me away about you was the fact that you seem very successful for somebody who's grown up in care. And I think that the main issue that a lot of young people face that have grown up in care is that they don't think that they can make it, you know. They live in their, you know, victim, not just victim narrative, but just the fact that they were victimized in some way Mm -hmm. or the fact that, like, no one was there for them. So it's like, what's the point of even Mm. trying? So tell us about how you decided to empower yourself and become who you are today. Um, I think it was a bit of multiple things. Um, I think, first of all, I grew up uh, in the church, So for me, 
having those morals and those kind of rules to stand by was very important in terms of keeping me on the right track. Because I think uh, with anybody who's in care or who's care experience or a care lever, you're always searching for something. And whether you find that, where you find that kind of determines the future for yourself. So you could find it in somebody bad or in something bad, and then you're running down that path for a while. And because there's no parent around you to guide you, to kind of get you back on the right path, at times you can lose yourself, especially when you're young and you're at the age of trying to discover yourself, you discover yourself that way. Whereas if you do kind of keep yourself on that right path with those morals and those values, it kind of does build who you become as a person, as well as the path you choose to follow. Because as soon as something seems wrong, you'll feel it. Um, so I think for me, that really was a big thing, but it wasn't just about the church or religion as well. I wanted my biggest, one of my biggest drivers was not ending up how everybody expected me to end up. Um, going through school, meeting professionals, and and I'm probably speaking for the majority, you usually get referred to in, and get compared to Tracy Beaker. Um, or the statistics that are out there, you're not gonna make it to work, you're not gonna make it to school, if you, you're not gonna make it to uni, if you do, you're gonna drop out. And I wanted to beat all those statistics. I wanted to not be that narrative. And the only way I could not be that narrative was by living the opposite. Um, and so that's what I did. Hi, Siobhan. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I think that's really interesting what you're saying because I was just I was just thinking about this as well um, before you came, and it was like someone asked me about uh, just literally like an hour ago, like what is it like? What the story that is told about young people in care is, you know, that they are gonna be trouble, that they aren't gonna attain educationally that they will be criminalized. And and she asked me like, why are young people told this story? Or like, is is that true? She was like, is that true? Like, what, like are young people in care more likely to, you know, not attain educationally? And it's interesting because yeah, they are, they're failed. It's not that they're not able to attain educationally, but they're failed by the education system. They're failed by the care system. Um, and I'm kind of thinking like, if you had any thoughts as to what it is about the care system that sets young people up for, for that failure and to become those statistics. Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot wrong with the care system just in general. Um, and the fact that there are more people who have bad experiences in care than good experiences should be the starting point. Um, and it's not, which is the issue. Um, I think there are many reasons, especially in terms of education, is the lack of support. So in terms of going into education, yes, there might be certain grants out there or certain X, Y, and Zs out there, but that communication and the young people who are actually in the care experience, knowing that those things are out there for them, is void. I didn't get no help in my education from social services whatsoever, none. Um, to the point where I had to pay for my final year of uni myself. Um, and going through that, 
it got to a point where I wanted to give up because you don't have support. You don't have parents there who could give you money when you're falling short. You don't have anybody telling you get up and go. It can be very easy to just give up. And because the care system doesn't really give you an advocate for that educational sense, they just kind of tell you to go to school and advise you to go to school, in that s um, but they don't follow it through with the actions like a normal parent would in terms of actually getting you up and taking you to school. When you do that to a young person, their choice nine times out of 10 is, is gonna be not to go because they're not gonna see the true value of that education until they get older. And when you start doing that from a young age, you, be, you get into that habit. I also think that social services fail young people by not having training within schools of how to deal with those young people coming into that school. Because nine times out of 10, if you're in care and you're going to a school, it's gonna be in an area that you didn't grow up. You're not gonna know anybody in terms of friends within that area. You're already at an age where you're trying to figure yourself out and now you're also trying to figure out a new system. And when you've got teachers and those who are supposed to be able to educate you not understanding your needs as an individual because they're so busy understanding just the general masses needs, you become somebody that gets forgotten about when you're probably the one person that shouldn't be forgotten about because school is probably the safest place for you, especially if you are young and in a care home or a care experience that isn't the best, which the majority, unfortunately, of care experience people are in. So being in a place that's supposed to be safe and you're not feeling like you're being protected, again, you're gonna give up easy. So I think having not having those things put in place, not having those at the top understand that there are gonna be these young people that are gonna come in and they're gonna need extra support is what's failing. And the lack of communication in terms of what these young people should be able to access and actually sh have the access out there and not, not being given to them um, also stops them from progressing or even understanding where they could get to and how they could get there. Um, yeah, well said. So I actually came into foster care when I was 16. And um, something that I realize now that I probably didn't notice you know, while I was growing up in care is that I missed out on a lot because I had to, <laughs> I had to grow up much faster than everyone else. I needed to know like the human rights laws and I needed to know like how to like navigate through like the care system and like how to con like how to conduct myself so that I don't get in trouble, you know? And I missed out on a lot of things that my friends, you know, talk about now. And it's like, I'm trying to do those things now and it seems like it's a bit too late. And I'm wondering, did you experience that same thing with yourself? I think 100%. I, I went into care at the age of three and I left care at the age of 14 during my GCSEs. I did my GCSEs as a rough sleeper um, and I passed. So for That's me, well done. thank <laughs> you. Amazing. But even then, at the age of 14 and social services already being involved in my life, I shouldn't have been a rough sleeper. They should have come in, they should have helped me, they should have protected me. The fact that they didn't speaks volumes in itself. And if they're doing that to me, Imagine how many other young people are out there. Imagine how many homeless young people are actually from the care system whose government parents haven't protected them the way they should be. But if you were in a normal home, that wouldn't be the case. I think as a young care experienced person, you spend so long trying to survive that 
you forget to enjoy. So when you get older and you start hearing about experiences that all your friends or colleagues in the workplace and things have, you realise that you've missed out on so much because you spent so long surviving. And that's not okay. It's a completely different world out here, even in such a progressive country like the UK, for care-experienced people. They are walking through a war zone. And bombs, bullets, fire, anything could come from anywhere. And they're learning, their focus is on how to get around those obstacles rather than enjoying. And because they don't have anybody protecting them there or helping them when things get really, really tough, they're just given advice or pointed where to go to. And it's always here, there and everywhere. Um, and it's not consistent in that sense then they just get falling through the cracks. I, like, having like, worked with homeless people, I there's very few homeless people that I've worked with, uh, like, uh, in a kind of support capacity where they haven't been in care. And I think just what you're saying is so indicative of a system, of, of, of a government, of a state, that is willing to let people suffer to the kind of most extreme points of mm -hmm. like like human suffering like and like you know anywhere in the world like you say you're in a war zone and it really is like I've, I've been to places like Palestine where there is like conflict like violent conflict and the way that they look after people as a community when they don't have any state infrastructure is a million times superior because if there is a child who doesn't have a family that has mm -hmm. the capability of looking after them, there will be other families who will bring them in and there will be a whole community that will bring them in and make sure that that child is okay. Mm -hmm. We have given, as a society, as a community, have given that responsibility over to the state who wields all the power mm -hmm. and they are meant to be the parent of the child and they criminalize those mm -hmm. children. They let those children like live on the streets. I mean, age 14, mm -hmm. you're on the streets doing your GCSEs. I mean, that is unreal. Like it's unthinkable, but it's, but it's not uncommon, no. you know? Um, I just think like it's a testament to your strength, personal strength that you like, that you've come <laughs> through that and like now you know, because it's it w must be so easy to like to give up, like you say. Hundred um, percent. I, I mean, there wasn't really a question there, but maybe what kind of advice? You know, I'm kind of thinking back to what you said at the beginning about you had some kind of moral guidance, or like mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give to those young people, or or maybe even those adults who have gone through the care system and who who are still rough sleeping or who are at that low point. I think it's threefold. First thing I realize, and this is in life in general, whether you're care experienced or not care experienced, the majority have to work to get to where they want to get to. The minority are fed with a silver spoon, are able to get to where they are because they know somebody. It's easy to think that that's the other way around but you have to realize, you do have to realize in yourself that the majority out there have been mentally or will be mentally in the same position as you. 
in some way, shape or form of whether they can make it or not. They might not have had the same journey. And yes, as a care experience person, if you've had a bad care experience experience, then yeah, your journey will be 10 times harder, but you have to work through it. And I think another thing is, if you don't start something, you will never know how it finishes. Fear is gonna happen everywhere. I mean, look at the coronavirus at the moment. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna happen everywhere and it could happen at any time. If you allow fear to control you, which I know it really is easy to allow, then that's gonna be your determining factor. If you allow yourself to control your fear, you can actually amaze yourself. There are a lot of things I've now done in my life. That 14 year old me, when I was a rough sleeper, I would never in a million years thought I could have done it. But if I didn't even try just to take that first step, whether it was going to the general council to say, I'm homeless, can I have a hostel? I need something, I'm willing to be in education, but I need you to help me get, at least have a home to then do education. I had to break myself out and realize it's okay to ask. And if they give, they give. If they don't, then go to the next one. Um, and it was all of those kind of things combined, more so. I think as a child, you do have a lot more courage than you do as an adult, which is really strange because you're a child, but you can see it even now. In nowadays, children are out there doing things that adults wouldn't have even dreamed of doing. 10, 15 years ago. As an adult, sometimes you have a bit more power. Use what you have to try and get to where you need to be. And everybody has something. And that would be my advice. And find some type of community where you don't feel alone. As a homeless person, when I was rough sleeping, I did visit homeless shelters. I did go to open places where they gave you food to eat, to be able to connect and meet the right people and hear their stories. And that's how I found out about the hostels to go to to ask. That's how I found out. So instead of isolating myself in a situation that I was already isolated, I still tried to immerse myself. It didn't happen straight away, no, but I knew that living on the streets was not what my future plans were, and it's not what I wanted for myself. So I had to make that change. And I think unless you and yourself, and if you've ever questioned, ever questioned, then that is you and yourself knowing that that's not the life you want to live. So just start, whether it's today, tomorrow, take that first step. It might not work out straight away, but if you keep trying, it will. It's kind of like that saying practice makes perfect. It's that practice in life. And you will get to a point where may not be perfect, but it'll be so much better. Care means to nurture, to look after someone, and that might be their emotional needs, but it also means their physical needs. It's to nurture and to look after. And um, going back to like what you were saying about community, I thought for a long time, especially growing up in care, that you need to like live in isolation. Like you can't tell anyone what's going on. None of my friends at six form knew I was in care. No one knew. 
And I thought that was normal. I thought that's how you're supposed to live. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, growing up, I realized you need a community. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've started a women's wellness group, which, yes. you know, is a, an amazing community. And um, I just wanted to get your insight on why you started that and how it's progressed. Okay. So to go all the way back from the beginning, um, during my care experience, I, w- I went through a lot of abuse, emotional physical, sexual, neglect. Um, And it was at the end of 2018. And I never really spoke about my, sorry, I never really spoke about my abuse. I might have touched on it, but it was very vague. So again, just kind of how I just described it now, just the umbrella terms, that's how I would kind of describe it then. I had to go through my my own personal journey in terms of mental health, so on and so forth, to be strong enough to actually now tell my story. Um, And then eventually I told my story online about what I went through. I didn't mention any names. I kept it very professional. I just wanted to make sure that on my social media platform that any young person that came across my page that had gone through anything similar or was going through anything similar, that what they were going through at that moment didn't have to define them. Um, During that process, two years ago when I did release it, I got contacted by police and I went through a long journey with them, which made me question certain things in terms of how I was feeling. Did I actually want to go through this? Was it the right thing for me? And then it also made me think about, wow, I'm actually in a place where I could I could now go through this. Imagine how many young girls there are out there that have been through the same experience and are still struggling with it hugely today and there's nobody there to protect them, there's nobody there to believe them, there's nobody there to listen to them, and there's nobody there for them to be able to speak to and not judge them. Because that's how I felt up until two years ago. Um, And it inspired me to create a group where all of those who have been in care and probably have had shared experience, whether it be through abuse, whether it be through housing or education, could come together and empower each other there might be strong people in the group, there might be other people in the group that haven't got there, but by sharing, you're helping each other grow, you're learning what they went through, what to do, what not to do, and it's just kind of like, you know, the same way you would learn from your parents how to cook, how to clean, we're actually giving that back to each other where we don't have those parents. That for me was really important. And as young women, we go through different experiences than men. So I felt like it was, as much as I don't like segregating in that way, I felt like it was really important for us as young women who I facilitate to be able to share that amongst other young women in that sense. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've, you know, come to a few of the sessions and it's it's a beautiful um, community to be a part of. Thank you. And um, I mean... I can only speak from my experience in, you know, growing up in care as a female. I'm not too sure how, you know, the same experiences can affect a male. Mm -hmm. But um, I felt like there was just no emotional support and I really needed that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, is that something that you experienced as well? Feeling like you really needed like a mother figure or just like someone that could understand you and somebody that could just like be there for you in that feminine way. 110%, I think any woman in this world, whether you've been care experienced or not, you need your mum. 
Do you know what I mean? And for the small things, just a hug. You go for a breakup with a boyfriend, you know, your first ever breakup. When we look at families, with who's the first person there? Your mum, not your friend, not your sister, not your brother, it's your mum. When you have your first period, who's the first person there? It's supposed to be your mum. If you've been through care, you don't have that figure. That was definitely something I longed for. And if I'm honest with myself, still something I long for now. Um, and I can see that in the relationships I choose, in the friendships I make. I'm very selective of, do they understand my emotional needs? Because my emotional needs have not been met up until this day, for me, by anybody, whether it be the care system, the education system, the employment system, whatever systems out there, it has not been met. I feel like having this type of group is the only way it can be met because there's a level of understanding. And if you don't understand something, you're already starting at a naive point of view, which I'm not saying is a bad thing because maybe you're trying to understand, but then the advice you give and the solutions you come up with can only go so far. Um, the support I feel like I'm getting can only go so far. If I feel you really understand me, like a mother understands their child, not only, not only am I gonna listen to you better, but I'm probably actually gonna do what you've asked me to say because I, you get me. And with any young person, with any person that works with a young person, you, for you to be able to do effective work, if you work in youth, uh, youth work, whatever, for you to be able to do effective work, you have to be able to connect with that young person or else it's gonna go straight in one ear and out the other. You also need to represent that young person. Um, and I think there's a big lack of representation in all systems for young care experienced people of color, for example. So again, the type of advice you're getting is only going so far. The emotional support you're getting in terms of understanding your cultural needs is only going so far. Um, and all these things are issues for young care experience, male, female, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Um, so that representation, to be able to give that emotional support is necessary. And I honest, for me personally, it might be different for other people, I feel like you can only get that when the person you're being represented by or talking to is reflective of you. Yeah, amazing. Um, I wanted to start, um, I wanted to touch on uh, mental health. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not you were offered um, counseling or therapy I was given sent to camps and it's so strange because yeah it's a service that you know care leavers were allowed to have but I didn't feel like it helped I didn't feel like it was effective I felt like it made me worse how was that experience for you did you have have camps or something else okay I don't normally like to be so blunt but mental health services in the UK are absolute rubbish so I was given CAMS, and I think CAMS fails anybody in the care experience system for two reasons. CAM, uh, mental health services in the UK forget about intersectional experiences. So when you go there to tell them about what you're going through, I feel like everything that they give you in terms of support is very textbook and very generic. It doesn't take into account your culture. It doesn't take into account your religion. It doesn't take into account 
the area you're, you're growing up with and the things that you might be facing in that area. It doesn't take into account so many things that are actually affecting your here and now. So for their service to actually be beneficial, it, there's too many gaps. And I also think, again, there's a lack of representation within the CAM service. So for you to be able to want to connect with them and want to engage with them for long periods of time, there's a reason young people don't and they haven't taken this into consideration. And finally, I also think that there, for you to have a mental health service like CAMS, you have to have other su services supporting so that some, a young person doesn't just come in and tell their whole entire life story, but when they leave, they get support. There is no support structure with CAMS. And a lot of the times when I went in, I came out feeling 10 times worse than I did going in, which for me is not mental health help. And it's not doing anything to help me understand what I need to do in the long run. I've had very bad experiences with CAMS in that sense. And I don't think it's good for you to be repeating your issues to 10 different counsellors. When your care experience, you could move three, four, five times. You having to repeat yourself and repeat yourself and repeat yourself, you're not getting any help because each time you're starting from the beginning again. And that CAMS worker doesn't know how far you went with the last CAMS worker. So they're just going back to the root causes, which you could have already finally found a cure for, and now you need, or not cure, but a way to cope, and now you need help with this. But they're so focused on hearing it from the beginning that you're now not getting the help you need. So I do think there needs to be a lot more in terms of a counselling service that doesn't just understand young people's needs, but understands the difference between young people's need and young people's care experience needs, because there is a big difference. I think that's so interesting and uh, like right on the money, um, what you were saying about how mental health services don't take into account the context in which uh, the person accessing that service is existing within. So that can be a family situation or a lack of family situation it can be your social group but more like more than that it can be it it can be your experience of poverty it can be your education experience it can be your care experience and even wider than that it can be how society views you as a woman or how society views you as a man or how society views you as a person of color or how society views you as a gay person or whatever it is though that that the way society is structured reinforces certain stereotypes or expectations on people and mental health services, in my understanding and my experience, don't take that context into account. I mean, and you know, you can even talk like transgenerationally and the kind of like legacies of trauma that, that can occur. Like, I mean, just from my personal experience, you know, I have picked up some of the trauma that my dad has experienced not because he was abusive but because he, the abuse that he experienced mm -hmm. is relayed onto me mm -hmm. and that and, and and that abusive experience was a personal one mm -hmm. but it was also one of him living in poverty and it was also and all those things like that feeling of not being safe is something that, that can be transferred right mm-hmm 
and mental health. It seems like the the mental health support that people access is meant should be to hold people and make people feel safe, and that doesn't really happen. Um, and it can be, like you say, repeating your story can be re-traumatizing. Um, and then I'm thinking about, okay, well, what was the services that were meant to protect you when you disclosed the ab your abuse and you had an experience with the police? Like, that's another service that is meant to protect you or bring a perpetrator to justice. Or I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, that experience was like mm -hmm. so twofold first of all just quickly touching back on the mental health i think the biggest issue with uk mental health services like i said before is it's very generic they're trying to find out what your issues are to put you underneath one of those umbrellas whether it be ptsd multiple personality disorder they're so focused on putting you an umbrella they forget that mental health is personal and you can't make something personal generic, which is exactly what the mental health services do. And again, like I said, that's where they fail. If they understand that every single person has an intersectional issue and they try and target that as a separate issue rather than another generic number, how we've all been treated in the care system as a number, they will do so much better. And then with that, I bring that over to the police. So like I said before, with my experience, I went through sexual abuse in two of my homes, in both my foster care home and my adoptive home. In my foster care home, um, I, had I had disclosed my sexual abuse to the police. I went through the court system, so on and so forth. But I was very young. I was five years old. So for me, going through that produced a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma, going through the police, having the, p the perpetrators know that you went to the police. In my type of culture, it's that whole stitches get snitches, uh, snitches get stitches, and you get, you get taught that from very young. So it was, what are the consequences gonna be to me now that I've told on them? How is my foster family gonna react as well? Because it was their family and I'm not really blood. So going through my adoptive, experience I was never confident to disclose anything because I didn't want to go through that again when I finally did disclose um it on I disclosed it on the internet my adoptive family got hot, um found out about it which I thought was quite weird because for years I've had them blocked and everything but somehow they still found out about it and then I was getting calls from a lawyer um basically asking me to take the post down so when the police first turned up to my house, and I never disclosed anything to the police at this point. Um, and then one day I got, I was at home uh, and I got a knock on the door, but it was a very policeman type knock <laughs> in that sense. Uh, I went to the door, there were two male police officers at my door. And I stressed the word male because they were coming to me to talk to me about my sexual abuse. And I think a female that has gone through sexual abuse, even just as a justice system, I think it's very ignorant to send two grown male police officers to a female's house. So that for me was my first sign of an issue in terms of how the police handled it. Um, and my first 30 seconds of them was them putting their body cameras on, them telling me, are you asking me, are you Siobhan? So at this point, I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. 
because in that first 30 seconds, I'm just seeing kind of how they would treat anybody else that they stop on the road. It wasn't until I think they saw the panic in my face, really, that one of the police officers kind of let me know, you know, we've seen that you've put something on social media. Um, we just want to talk to you about it. We want to be here for you. We want to support you through it. I invited them in, but I was still quite nervous because I do have a tendency to be nervous around males because of my experience, something I'm working on. Um, but, uh, and one of the police officers was very good at the way he handled it. I think he, however he's been trained was brilliant. I still don't think it was right to send me two males, but I think in terms of the choice that they chose me, they made a right choice in who they sent. He was very understanding. He was very supportive. I think him having two daughters gave him a level of integrity in terms of the way he was speaking to me as well. And when he left my house, um, he messaged me to kind of let me know that um, anything I need to message him and that they're gonna do everything they can to support me. Which I think is a good thing, but in that sense, you're kind of leaving somebody with a false promise because I then went through the whole system. I had to go give my deposition and things like that. And the one thing that they never did was ask me if I might have needed counseling to go through this. They didn't give me any support. I actually went to drive forward to have support just before I went to go give my deposition because my fear was this is gonna be the first time I've, even to myself, I've relived in detail the abuse I went through. And my abuse happened over seven years. And the first time in my life, I've gone in detail about what happened, where it happened, because a deposition, they ask you everything to make sure you're not lying, Because which I understand there are people who come forward about sexual abuse that do lie, which I get. But at the end of the day, it is still common. So in terms of that belief system, you should still be willing to listen to the women understand and men go for it too, in that sense. I do think, you know, if you go through theft or a burglary or whatever, or a domestic abuse, there and then, the police offer you support. So for me, it was quite strange that during this, which you know could trigger somebody's mental health, there was no support. The deposition was quite intimidating. I got taken to uh, um, a police precinct and I was in a small room. They let me know there was a camera there. They left me in the room by myself, I guess for 10 minutes, maybe just, I don't know, maybe see how I'd react or whatever. And then they came in, they'd go back out and come in and go. So it made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, and then I obviously left the police station. Again, no support, no nothing. So after giving a two and a half hour or maybe longer deposition, and the first time I'm reliving it properly, I went back with no support. And it mentally, it broke me for a while. It really did break me. And I think if I was in a job or a career any time at that stage, I probably would have left because I, I had to rework on myself again to get myself back to where I needed to be because it was a trigger. And I didn't realize it was a trigger until I went through it again because I had shared, like I said, I shared my story online and that didn't trigger me, but I didn't go deep. My story was generic online. Me going deep for the first time triggered me. And again, women's wellness, I thought, wow, if this is happening to me, and also this is how the police is handling it, I can see why women don't come forward. I can 100% see why women don't come forward. And that was before I'd even got the results. If there's gonna be no support going there and going back, 
And then not only that, at that time I had my partner to go with me. Imagine if I had no one and I was going there on myself to then go back home by myself. Who knows what could have happened? Um, and then, and even when they did arrive to my door and, they are, and it was the police that asked me to take it to court, I didn't actually want to take it to court. I remember the one question I, me saying them is, this happened over 10 years ago. Are you sure I should take it to court? Because it's not happened now. You can't do a rape kit or anything now. They said that they would still be able to find enough historical evidence. Only for them seven months later to tell me that they can't find enough historical evidence and they're going to have to close the case. The only reason I'd even agreed to go to the police in the first place is because I had found out from a church member that one of the perpetrators had possibly done it to somebody else. And I wanted to make sure that it never happened again. For them, me to hear that they're not doing anything about it. It made me feel like I wasn't believed. It made me feel lost. It made me feel broken. And again, there was no support in that. And not only that, I think where the police failed is they didn't actually tell me that they weren't taking the case forward. I actually had to call them to find out what was going on for them to tell me. That's not okay. So I think in terms of that, again, it's another service that is failing young people. And we already see this in the news when it comes to criminalization of care people. But when you go through such a traumatic experience like that, and you don't have family support or social services support who are supposed to support you, the next person you are looking to is the police. And when they don't support you either, who do you turn to? Who believes you? To me, care is someone being there for me in whatever way I need them to be. Sometimes that's doing things for me or with me, but often it's just sitting with me or knowing that they have me and what I need in their mind. I've got a question about whether you think after, and I don't think that treatment is uncommon, Mm -mm. you know, um, but after experiencing that treatment and any other interactions with the police, do you think that they as an institution are qualified to investigate or, or try and prosecute these kinds of cases because no matter what your your opinion on the police are um and i have some uh, like fine if they want to investigate a burglary or mm-hmm. you know rare, rare, um, a murder you know there's detectives that can do that and that you know that is the system that is in place with cases like this and 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 dealing with people who have experienced like either prolonged or historical abuse do you think that that they are will ever be equipped no matter how much training they have to deal with those kind of situations yes and no two things that are an issue with the police anything to do with abuse in my eyes when it comes to the police unless it's high profile they don't care There are so many people in the UK that are being abused and continue to be abused today. But let's be honest, the only ones we've heard on the news are those of the Jimmy Savills. Or maybe where it's happened to multiple people in one specific care home, which was the case a couple of years ago in that care home that got closed down. But it happens so regularly. I feel like the police can only be equipped when they see it as a serious issue and they don't see it as a serious issue. I also think that the police can only be equipped when they connect with other services that understand these issues. 
and I specifically mean women's services that understand these issues, or if you're a male being sexually abused, male services that understand. So for example, Metro and things like that, because you will have in those services specific people have been around these issues so much that instead of first time judgment, like the police will do, they will be able to dig a lot deeper to be able to find out the truth from not the truth because it's what they know and all they know. And unless you combine that, you're not gonna get the support for this the abuse issue that is needed out there for young people. And I think finally, sorry, the last issue when it comes to the police and protecting young people in care who have been through abuse is the fact that those police who are in charge of the young offending team are nine times out of 10, the same police officers that deal with the care experience young people. So instead of separating their views on those who have actually offended crimes and those who are just needing help, they don't have that mentality to separate and so they treat both the same. And that's why we find so many young care experienced people who have not actually been involved in the crime become criminalized because they become put in the same bracket as young offenders. Yeah, that's 100% it for me. Like the amount of young people that I know who will have had interactions with the police who while they're in care and they are treated immediately like they're criminals and it seems to me that the the role of the police institutionally is to deal with criminals, mm -hmm. not to deal with people who have been victims of trauma. Of, of trauma and of crime themselves, you know? And and let's be real, there is a crime in like moving children around care homes and putting them through the kind of trauma that they experience whilst they're in care. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do remember you telling me that um, a media company actually wanted to sort of investigate your story and maybe even potentially like help and find ways to sort of like sort out this issue with the police and how to better handle it and how they can help other care leavers or other young people who have had the same situation. So could you just discuss that and how that went? Mm -hmm. So I was approached by a media company I won't name the media company, just out of respect for them. Uh, however, um, when they approached me and the person that approached me from the media company, they were also care experienced themselves. So my initial thoughts in going into them and approaching them, I actually felt quite comfortable due to the fact that I already knew that the person who I was speaking to had some type of idea of what I'd gone through. So there was some type of level of understanding there was some type of, I guess, in my own naivety, thinking that they're actually gonna represent me in the right way because it's not people who are naive to the situation handling the story, it's people who may have been through the situation handling the story. Um, now, when they first approached me, this was the same time that the court case was actually gonna possibly happen. So this was the same time as the police were doing their investigation and everything. Um, 
I had a quite a few meetings with them. So I'd say maybe three or four meetings with them where we'd started to detail out how it was going to be filmed, what was going to be said. They'd done my DBS check. Then all of a sudden, no communication. Until this day, I still haven't heard from them. So for me, again, it was failed. Did you not want to hear from me because, or did you not continue the story because it didn't end up in court and it wasn't big enough for you or high profile enough for you? Which is again, am I another young girl that's been through this experience whose voice is now going to be lost, even though you approached me to hear my voice, but clearly it wasn't good enough for it to be heard? All these questions went running through my head. And then my final question was, what was the agenda you were really trying to put out there? And did you allow the person, specific person, to approach me so that I would feel comfortable for you to put out your own agenda, but me not realize it? How na naive do you actually think I am? And if you're doing this to me, who else are you doing this to? How many other people are thinking, yes, finally my voice is gonna be heard, just to hear nothing again? And for me, it just felt like another neglect from another big system. Um, I wanted to touch on like, the exploitation of young people, especially young people in care, mm -hmm. and their stories. So for a long time, growing up in care, and even after I'd left, I you know, said to myself, I'm never gonna tell anyone my story, even if they wanna pay me, because I felt like I don't wanna be exploited. Mm -hmm. And you know, wanting to like have a career in the industry of like the media or entertainment, I don't, it's something that I wanna avoid. I'm trying to word this correctly. But it's something that I want to avoid because so what happened to me was very personal mm -hmm. and unless you can really understand, mm -hmm. there's no point in me sharing it. Did you feel that way or do you still feel that way now? I think when I was younger, I felt that way because I think if you're in a care system and you stay in education, you tend to fall into that trap of being involved with charities or other kind of organizations which are close to your heart because it's, there is something, you either wanna find that community or you wanna make sure it doesn't happen to somebody else. And in those situations, you end up sharing your story again and again and again. And it starts to feel like exploitation and then you start networking with either media companies or you start becoming the face. So at first, I was exactly like that. No, my story's personal, X, Y, and Z, even down to, like I said, me not sharing my second abuse for years. And then going through hostels, me and other care experienced young people and hearing the same struggles with no change in terms of what they're experiencing, being the same as what I went through, and just knowing that over the years and the years and the years, the care, this care system, the government still was really doing nothing to protect the majority of these young people, my whole entire attitude changed in terms of, I need to speak out. No change can happen unless the issues are made evident. And the issues can only be made evident if people are speaking on those issues. Me speaking to the same care experience charities means that m the solutions to those issues are only gonna go so far. Me getting that word across higher and higher and higher up 
means that there's possible change for the masses. And I think with anything, I mean, look around, Black Lives Matter, LGBT rights, everything doesn't, it all starts from the small communities that you gather, but they have these big marches for a reason. They have people representing their causes for a reason because nothing's gonna change unless people know about it. And it's all well and good for me being personal because I don't think anybody's gonna understand, but how do I expect anybody to actually understand if I'm not making them aware? You can't understand what you don't know. So I'm gonna have to let you know for you to understand. And maybe that will change your view on care experience people. If you're not care experience, to actually look in your community and be like, wow, so much is going wrong for all these young people. Even though I'm not care experienced, maybe I need to join this movement, just like so many people join movements that aren't connected to them because they believe in it. But again, how would they know about the movement if nobody told them? How would anybody know about slavery if people of color didn't write their version? How would religions be formed or whatever be formed if people who believed in those things didn't speak up? It wouldn't. So it has to start from somewhere. I'm not saying that those who don't speak about their issues are doing anything wrong, because again, my choice to speak out was a personal choice. I don't think you should ever be forced, because that's when it comes to people using you. I do think you need to go on your personal journey and feel okay to be in that position, to, to be able to speak out. But again, nothing's gonna change if you don't. I'd like amazing words and truly inspirational and I think you know part of the motivation for wanting to do this project is to build a movement like that or at least begin to understand where the system is what where it is going wrong what kind of things about it are fundamentally wrong and hear from people who have the the actual knowledge about what it what the system what how the system works mm -hmm. and try and put power back into those people's hands to try and change change it and i think um what you said just then was really inspiring about like the, the kind of diy element of it like movements don't happen when you're waiting for people in power to give you those rights mm -hmm. they ha those rights have to be you know taken from the hands of people in power and the way to do that is to start exposing the injustices mm -hmm. that the system perpetuates on people and um, on, on people who are being exploited um and so like really just to say thank you um just for like being yourself <laughs> really <laughs> like um because i think people will connect with you and and hopefully that can kind of embarrass some people who are in positions of power and it should embarrass them and they should be ashamed and the way those systems work should be completely rethought mm -hmm. um so yeah i that's kind of just my res like reaction i suppose to what you're saying because mm -hmm. it was really inspiring and yeah i just want to say thank you for that because it was a uh, Un unbelievable words, really. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so my final question is, 
we've spoken today about you know injustices not just with the care system but also with police mental health institutions and so on and um you know it, on one hand it's great that we're talking about all the problems but how can we find solutions you know what do you feel like the care system needs to do better how can we go about it do you feel like we need to maybe abolish the care system start again do something new or do you feel like we need to incorporate more community and empathy okay i think there's a few things first things first if you look at the uk they had rights for animals before they had rights for children that's the mentality we live in there are so many people the majority of the uk alone will protect a, a cat or a dog before they even protect their own child. That mentality alone has to change. Children are pure. Children are the next generation. And unless you change that mentality to put kids before animals, nothing can really change. Or things can only go so far. That's one. I think second of all, for change to be effective, you have to put these young people at the forefront. Those are who are in the care system, those who have lived in the care system, those at the top need to be willing to listen to them and not the teachers, not the social workers. Of course, listen in that respect, but the main advice you should be getting is from the people who are living that experience themselves or else you're missing everything out and that's why there are too many gaps because too many professionals are speaking between professionals and nobody's actually speaking to the young person and when they do finally speak to the young person nine times out of ten they're speaking over the young person in those type of meetings the young person needs to be the ceo the executive the head of the table if they are not and they are just there as a participant you are already failing the care system Finally, services. There needs to be a whole 360 change in both services and there needs to be a personalization of these services. Mental health services need to have people who only specialize in care experience mental health. Police services need to separate those young, young offenders from those police that deal with care experience people. All those different services need care experience training and mental health training. And I mean every type of training, because these are people who are coming with, young care experienced people are coming with all types of different issues. And if you're not trained to deal with all those different types of issues, and only one, again, there are too many gaps. And that's where it all needs to start from, is the young person at the forefront, the training at the forefront, and last but not least, the vetting being the top most important. There are too many foster parents and adoptive parents and care homes that aren't doing enough to protect and support these young people. And because of that reason, even though you, as the system you think you're protecting, no, you're still continuing to fail because you're not vetting. If you have a vetting process as much as FTSE 100s have a vetting process in terms of their employees, again, the type of care these young people are given in order for them to do be stay on the right path and have a better future would be 10 times better. So yes, a whole entire review of the care system nationally, but with, care pe with young people at the top and the front of that review.
and signing that review off once it's been created. Incredibly well said. Thank you so much. I love that. Putting the power back into young people and making the care system an empowering institution rather mm -hmm. than a disempowering one. Thank you so much, Siobhan. That was yeah, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Transforming Care. Transforming Care is an autonomous media production hosted by myself, Jake Lake, and Joy Milani. You can find us at autonomousmedia.org, on Twitter at media underscore autonomy, and on Instagram at autonomous underscore media underscore London underscore. They're long, I know. I hope you enjoyed the show and tune in next week. <laughs>